Hello, hello. <laughs> Good to see you guys. Thanks for the, the clap. Thanks. Appreciate that. Pastor Lewis will be back next week, um, and a couple weeks ago, he asked me if I'd be interested in preaching. Um, I preached a couple times before in a classroom setting, so this will be the first time in a church setting, um, so I'm excited, and thank you uh, for having me. Let me get my notes up here. All right, so... Um, yeah, so I was praying through the last couple weeks, and there's a couple stories and characters that I really like. So I thought, you know, that one just came, kept coming back to mind. And uh, the main, like, big idea for today will be that God is compassionate to the undeserving. So um, I don't know if you're like me. Uh, you might have felt discouraged or angry or exhausted in your walk with God before. Maybe you felt all three of these emotions at one time. Uh, walking with God is hard in this world. Uh, sometimes it's hard because of uh, the opposition of the world. Sometimes it's hard because of our own sin. But sometimes uh, we're faithful and obedient to God, but we feel like we're and we feel like we're doing everything right. We're spending time with God in the morning. We're reading the Bible, having worship music going in the morning. Uh, we're tithing right when we get our, our our paycheck. We're sharing Christ with others, and. Um, Sorry, I just zoomed in on my notes here. There we go. <laughs> uh, we're sharing Christ with others, um, but life can still be hard. It can still be a struggle. Um, we can be doing everything right, and uh, it can still be hard, this walk with Jesus. You might feel like you're being treated unfairly at work with our boss or maybe at school with a teacher or a professor. Um, and even though we're faithful, things can be hard in this world. And other times, uh, our walk with God might be hard because our, of, uh, of our own disobedience. Um, we know that God has told us to do what to do and how to live, and we run the opposite direction. Uh, we can be stubborn as Christians. I don't know about, like, I can be so stubborn sometimes if I don't want to do something maybe that God's called me to do. Um, we might not like what God's asking us to do at a moment. And we can get angry and maybe even pout with God. Maybe we've wronged someone and we don't want to take the steps uh, to make it right. Or maybe we just don't like someone and uh, we treat them poorly. Um, so today we're going to uh, focus on two prophets who were disappointed and angry with God in similar ways. And we'll see how God interacts with them. So uh, let's pray and then we'll get into the main part of the message. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time. Uh, that you brought us all together to read your word, to hear your word, God. And uh, we just asked, I just ask in this moment that you would uh, speak to us, you would encourage us, that we'd get to know you more uh, through your word this morning, and uh, that we would uh, realize that you're here with us, that you love us, that you care about us, and that you are not done with us, you're still working on us, Lord. So we give this time to you this morning. And we just thank you for who you are in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. So these are the two prophets I want to focus on. They kind of, their similarities, they have a, kind of have a death wish. I don't know, you, <laughs> it's, they want to die. They mentioned to God both two times that they want to, want him to take their life. They're so angry and frustrated with God and their situation. So the two prophets we're going to focus on, it's just a couple parts of their story. 
is Elijah and Jonah. There, uh, Elijah, just some comparisons. Elijah tried very hard to turn Israel back to God during a rebellious period. And then Jonah, he tried very hard not to go to Nineveh and not to have Nineveh turn back to God. So those are the two prophets we're going to focus on. And Elijah, will focus on him first. And uh, just a little background about him. He's a prophet. He learned uh, he lived during the time when Israel was rebelling against God. They were worshiping idols. They had very uh, they had wicked kings during this period that led the people astray. Uh, The king at this time was Ahab and his wife uh, was a queen Jezebel that we know about. And uh, right before the part we're going to focus on, uh, Elijah had just confronted 450 prophets of Baal. And it's a. If you know the story, if not, it's in 1 Kings 18, 20 to 40. And he sets up like a big showdown and he sets up two altars and he's like, the prophets of Baal, pray to God, pray to your God. And if he answers, fire comes down from heaven and he answers, then he's real. But if God, I'll pray to God. And if he answers, fire comes down, then he's real. So he has this big showdown. God shows up. Fire comes down from heaven. They get rid of the prophets. But then Jezebel um, threatens to kill him, and he gets scared and runs away. So that's kind of the, the background to this, and then we'll get into the first part of the message. It's in 1 Kings 19, uh, 1 through 8, and we'll also focus on 19, 9 through 14 uh, for this first part. So let's read it here. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to, uh, to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he, Elijah, himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and sat under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai, where Moses gets the Ten, ten Commandments, Mount of, the Mount of God. So just a, th- a couple of things I want to point out in this first section. Um, when we're discouraged and feel like a failure, we see here in this passage, God comforts us. God knew what Elijah was going through, and he knows that Elijah is exhausted and discouraged and that, has, that his ministry hasn't gone how he wanted it to go. Um, God doesn't tell Elijah to suck it up or pull himself together. Uh, like, we got work to do. Let's go, Elijah. God tells Elijah to eat or to rest, to eat, to drink, and to sleep. We see that it's kind of like the Uber Eats, the divine Uber Eats program right here. God <laughs> sends his angel and gives him something to eat, to drink. He's exhausted. He's tired. He's been in hiding for many years before this point. So God, he... G- he uh, gives him, takes care of his physical needs and gives him rest and food. Um, and in ministry and life in general, 
God is all-sufficient, all-powerful and eternal. He doesn't need us to accomplish his will, and he knows our frame. He knows we are weak, and he knows um, we can only handle so much. So that's why we can rest when we need it. God's plan and purpose doesn't depend on our resources, our strength, or our wisdom, or our money, or anything else. It all depends on him. God is the one who will make sure his will will be done. And just like Elijah, sometimes we, we forget that. We go overboard. We get exhausted, depressed, discouraged. And God reminds us and comforts us and takes care of us. And the next part of uh, the section that we want to see just after Elijah, he goes to Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. Uh, so the next part we're reading is uh, 1 Kings 19, 5 through 7. And uh, we pick up with Elijah in a cave on the mount. It says Elijah had a powerful, well, I'm sorry, here's a summary. Elijah had a, a powerful moment of triumph when he goes up against the 450 prophets of Baal. He proves to Israel's wicked king Ahab and his wife Jezebel and all Israel that God is real and Baal is not. But Ahab, Je Jezebel, and Israel don't turn to God. Instead, Jezebel pledges to kill Elijah, and Elijah runs away depressed, frustrated, and scared, and asks God to take his life. So Elijah did his best to turn Israel to God, but they don't turn back, and Elijah feels he's failed his mission and doesn't want to live anymore. So all of uh, Elijah's ministry, we'll see that God tells him, you know, go in hiding over here and I'll take care of you, or go to this widow, and she'll take care of you. Throughout his whole ministry, God tells Elijah what to do, and he does it. But we see um, when Jezebel threatens him, it's a time where it doesn't say God told Elijah to run away. Elijah gets scared, and he runs away. And that's, we get scared too. Like, it's, it's great, the prophets and, you know, the saints, we think that they're so superhuman sometimes, and they're doing all these great things. But here, Elijah, he had a great victory, and he gets scared of the queen threatening his life. So we can get scared too. They're human in the Bible just like we are. So Elijah runs away. Um, and he becomes afraid, runs away without God telling him to. And so we'll pick up the story, 1 Kings 19, 9 through 14. And it says, Elijah, there he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, and Elijah said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek to take my life and take it away. And then God said to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke it in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there, was, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? God asked him that question again. Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword, and I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. 
So we see here, God asks Elijah what he's doing here. He ran away. Elijah asks, or God asks Elijah twice, and Elijah asks the same, uh, answers the same way. So when God asks Elijah what he's doing all the way back at Mount Sinai, Elijah responds, I have been very jealous for the Lord. Uh, Israel's forsaken your people. They've ran away, they've broke your covenant, and they seek to kill me. He says that twice in 10, verse 10 and 14. But he doesn't mention to God that he's afraid of Jezebel. He doesn't mention he wasn't completely honest for the reason why he ran. Elijah states to God that he has tried very hard. He's been faithful to God, and it hasn't worked. Israel as a nation hasn't turned back to God. Is Elijah telling God that he's done with ministry, that he's had enough, that he's done with life? Elijah has always been obedient and zealous for God, but it didn't seem like it was helping at all. Israel was still rebelling against God. And just like Elijah, we can become angry, we can become discouraged, exhausted when we think that everything relies on us. When we've done everything God asks us to do, but we don't get the results we expect, and so we want to give up. Maybe you have a child that isn't walking with, uh, with God, with Jesus, and you feel like you've done everything you can do. You send them to private Christian school. You take them to church every Sunday. You uh, take them to youth group, but they don't want anything to do with it. And it can be frustrating, and you don't know what else to do. Maybe you've been faithful service, faithfully serving in a ministry um, for many years, and you just don't see the results you expected. And you're like, "What, God, what's going on? What are, what are, what are you doing here? Maybe you've been struggling with a habitual sin or a trial or a life situation, and you're not seeing anything happen and wonder what God is doing. And when we're in this place of depression and discouragement like Elijah would, um, it's good to know that God doesn't condemn us. He reaches out to us with compassionate questions. Elijah wasn't drawn out of the cave of his depression by the miraculous displays of God's power with the earth or the wind, the earthquake and the fire. But the gentle whisper of God is what drew him out of the cave a little bit further. And um, that reminds me of the verse in Matthew um, when we see how God deals with Elijah. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, uh, verse 30 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. We see that with his, he has all this power. He's tearing the whole wilderness apart. He's the strongest, most powerful being in the universe. And he's gentle. He speaks gently with Elijah. And if anyone had any credibility to be harsh or proud in heart, it would be the creator of the world, creator of the universe, the only perfect and most powerful being. But God is gentle and humble, and he's kind to the brokenhearted and deals with us gently especially in our discouragement. God speaks to us gently and lets us know that he is with us. That's what he does for Elijah. That's what he does with us in our, in our depression, discouragement. Uh, so we can come to God with our discouragement without fear of rebuke. He also lets us know, he also lets Elijah know in 1 Kings 9 through 18 or verse 18 that Elijah isn't the only one. He's not the only one that's faithful. Um, earlier in the story, Elijah meets a servant 
of uh, the king who's been faithful to God. He hides a hundred prophets in two different caves. And so Elijah knows that, but he, maybe he feels like he's the only one that's actually working for God. He's the one that's out there. His life is threatened. But God reminds him, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So God tells Elijah after he comes out of the cave, hey, you're not the only one. There's 7,000 that are faithful to me. So a lot of times we can get in that Lone Ranger mentality where it's all us. We're doing this ministry or we're, you know, we're speaking to people or we're helping our family and it's only us. But you have a community around you that love God, that are faithful to God. Um, so, yeah, so the salvation of your family doesn't all depend on you. Parenting your child doesn't all depend on you. The ministry God has called you to doesn't all depend on you. Or the pain and the problems of this world doesn't all depend on you to fix it. And so it's true for Elijah, and it's true for us that God is our resource here. So be encouraged. God is the one who's in control. He has a plan and purpose for you and the people in your life, and it doesn't all depend on you. God, uh, God has other faithful people, and you're not alone. So that kind of wraps up that section for Elijah, and now we're going to move over to the other, other person, Jonah, uh, in this section. Um, it's a famous story. We know a lot about Jonah uh, or his story. He's a prophet in Israel that was sent to a great and wicked city, Nineveh, which is in Assyria. So it's north of Israel. And he was sent to preach against it and call Nineveh to repentance. Um, but as we know, if not, it's Jonah is a short book. It's four chapters. It's a it's a great book to read. Um, but God, uh, but Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Um, so he runs away. God has to bring him back uh, with a fish, a great fish that swims him all the way to Nineveh where he's supposed to be. So God runs the opposite, or so Jonah runs the opposite direction. But uh, God brought Jonah back to Nineveh with the fish. But Jonah was so angry that God didn't de destroy Nineveh that he asked God to take his life. Just like Elijah. He's depressed, discouraged, angry, and he doesn't want to live anymore. Jonah's angry at God, doesn't like what's going on, and he's asked God to take his life. So we'll pick up the story in Jonah 3.10 and then 4, 1 through 5. So it says, uh, when God saw what they did, Nineveh, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, it is, is this not what I said when I was in my own country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, take, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat, uh, sat under it in the shade till he would see what would happen to the city. So here we see Jonah. He's angry that God didn't destroy Nineveh, Israel's enemies. And just like Jonah, again, he's human. And just like us, are there people we don't like and feel that they are not deserving to be saved? Maybe people with a certain political view, 
you know, we don't understand how they could think that, how they could believe that. They're so wrong. We're so we're going to write something on Facebook real quick. No, you're wrong. We're going to have a giant debate. And maybe we want something bad to happen to them. We don't want them to maybe come to God. We don't want the best for them. We don't want to bless our enemies. Maybe it's a certain lifestyle that goes against the Bible. Maybe it's, you know, someone's you know is getting drunk over and over again or they're addicted to something. Or it could be someone in the LGBT community or someone in a, a different community that we don't, that it goes against the Bible, but we have an animosity toward them. That we get angry with them. We don't want to bless them or bless our enemies, but we want God to punish them. And maybe it's a generation of people. Maybe you're a little older and the younger generation, Gen Z or something, you don't understand how they could wear their clothes the, the way they do or their progressive views or their why they like a certain type of music or they're always on TikTok or this or that. And so you're like, oh, I don't want to deal with them. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to be around them. Or maybe, you know, flip side, your younger generation, you see the older generation and you're just like, they're so judgmental. They don't like us. You know, I don't understand their way of life or what they think. And we can get animosity toward those people. And when we look at Jonah, he was the best of the best. He was a Jewish man. He was part of God's chosen people, Israel, and he was one of God's prophets. In his mind, why should he go to Nineveh, to wicked and cruel people who were violent, sinful, and didn't know God? Jonah had already decided that they weren't worth saving. Jonah didn't want God to save them. Jonah wanted God to destroy them. Though Jonah knew God's heart and character of compassion, Jonah wasn't willing to work with God, and he resisted. And how many times do we judge people? Uh, without knowing knowing them or realizing, hey, we weren't judged by God. How many times we were judged or evaluating if someone's worthy to be saved or not, or hoping that a certain people maybe receive punishment from God instead of an opportunity to repent. You know, Jonah, we have our, our weaknesses as people, and it's, uh, it's something we struggle with, the sin that is in us. We struggle with that, and it can happen to us. It can happen to Jonah. But our job as Christians and Christ followers, it isn't to decide who's worth saving, but to share the gospel and let God decide who he saves. That's what God did for us. Someone shared the gospel with me. Someone shared the gospel with you. We were unworthy and deserved punishment. But God in his compassion and steadfast love and kindness granted repentance to me, to you, that we would be saved. And we see later, we'll jump to the next part, Jonah 4, 6 through 11. Um, this next area, we see that um, Jonah, and we can do it as well, we can become more concerned with our own comfort than the salvation of the lost. And we'll see that here in this verse 6 through 11. It says, Now the Lord, appo the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from its discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die again to, to God. It is better for me to die than to live, Jonah said. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said to him, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night 
and perished in the night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Yeah, so just like Jonah, we can be concerned with our own comfort rather than this, the salvation of the lost. Here we see God saying there's 120,000 people that the right hand from their left, that's like they don't know right from wrong is what that means. They're just, you know, doing whatever they want, whatever's right in their own eyes. They're lost. They're lost sheep. And he also cares about the animals. Like, you care about this plant, Jonah, came up in a day because it comforted you. But these people, should I not care about them? So also, we have to look at ourselves here. Are we hesitant to use the resources God has blessed us with to reach the lost? The resources of time, talent, money, food, material possessions. You know, they're, they, can, they provide comfort to us in this world, and sometimes we don't want to move out of that comfort or share that comfort with someone else. Are we more concerned with the temporal things than the eternal uh, soul and destination of a person made in the image of God? If a prophet that hears from God can feel this way, surely we could feel this way sometimes too. And are we more concerned about how we'll be received by someone that we won't want to talk with them? There's more like an internal comfort of maybe we're afraid, like, it'll be awkward if I talk to this person about Jesus. I don't know what to say. Um, I'm busy. I don't have time to talk to this person. Um, or what if they reject me? These are, you know, questions that go through our mind as we step out of our comfort zone when we feel that God is calling us to do something more than what we are doing. And so now that we've looked at Elijah and Jonah, separ Jonah separately, um, I want to see some commonalities uh, with this story. So we'll see uh, both Jonah and Elijah ran from God. Elijah, he, ran, he went 370 miles southwest to Mount Sinai. So he's way at the north of Israel, and he goes down, you know, like in between Egypt and Israel. He, that's how scared he was and done with the whole thing. And Jonah, he got on a boat going to Tarshish. It's about 2,000 miles away. We don't know how far he got before God turned him around with the storm. But, you know, that's far. That's from, like, here to California. <laughs> that's, a, that's a long way. A long way to be in a fish also. So, <laughs> um, so when we're scared and frustrated or we don't like what God is calling us to do, we can be tempted to run. But God is always there. And we see in Jonah's story, he prays in the belly of the fish. And it reminds me of Psalm 139. Seven through, sin, uh, 7 through 10, it says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall guide me, lead me. Even your right hand shall hold me. So we see that with Elijah. He goes 370 miles to a cave. God's there. He can run away from his, his mission, his calling. Jonah can run away from his mission, his calling, but God is right there. He's near. You can run the distance location-wise, but you can't run from God. And we also see that God sends both Elijah and Jonah back to the place they were fleeing. Um, Elijah was given orders to anoint two kings and to anoint his replacement as prophet. So he had a shorter distance to go. He had to walk 
he was, uh, God was a little more gentle with Elijah because of his situation. But we see with Jonah, storm thrown over sea in the belly of a fish. So God, the severity of how God brings you back on track can differ depending on why you're running away. So it can get pretty severe in the belly of a fish for 2,000 <laughs> 2, miles. Um, so, again, we look at ourselves. Is there something or someone God has told you to talk with? Or is there something God has told you to do that you're running from? It could be a conversation with someone. Maybe you need to forgive or ask someone for forgiveness. Maybe there's someone that you need to share the gospel with and you're avoiding it. Uh, maybe God is calling you to a certain ministry, but you don't want to do it. Maybe you're afraid like Elijah. Maybe God is calling you to surrender your life completely to him and you're hesitating or running to other things or to people. Maybe, you know, you know, I've heard this from when I've done some street evangelism in school. I heard from a younger guy, like, oh, I've got time. Like, I've got time before I, you know, clean my life up or come to God. Like, I, there's still stuff I want to do. Um, so there's times when we're hesitating or we think things are fine or we have time. But God is calling us today. Maybe you follow God when it's in your comfort zone. We all do this a little bit, but now he wants more of your life, and you want to run. Maybe you're scared of what it's going to look like if you completely follow God. Um, so for Elijah, he was tired of preaching against a rebellious Israel, but God hadn't given up on Israel. So God leads Elijah back to anoint two kings and Elisha, a prophet, in his place. Um, and these steps that God tells Elijah to do, they end up turning Israel back to God slowly. Instead of the powerful way that Elijah is used to doing things happening quick, God does a slow underneath turning people back to him slowly. So it doesn't always happen in a flash. And for Jonah, it wasn't his plan to go preach to Israel's pagan enemy, Nineveh, but it was God's plan. So God bring, uh, brings Nineveh, Jonah back to Nineveh. And he preaches to Nineveh, and they turn to God. And in, in our life, when we're running away from God, he'll continue to lead us back to the place he wants us to be until we do what he wants us to do, until he brings us to a place of surrender. And like I, I said a little earlier, it can be severe, severe or a little light to bring us to that place of surrender. And we also learn from these stories is that uh, we don't know how people will respond to the gospel. You would think uh, that God's chosen people would respond with genuine repentance right away. Um, they've had prophets in the past come to them. Um, when they see God's answer prayer, uh, Elijah's prayer, and God's answer, the fire came down, God's real, um, we, you would think they would turn to him and follow him, but they don't. And we see that in 1 Kings 19, 1 through 2. And with Jonah and pa pagan Nineveh, Nineveh is a violent and wicked, cruel nation. One, uh, one might think they would kill Jonah as he preaches and walks through the city that it's going to be destroyed in 40 days. But the whole city and the, the king declares a fast. They wear sackcloth, which is a sign of repentance and sorrow, and they repent and turn to God. So we don't know uh, how people will respond to the gospel. God just calls us to share it. So we can't prejudge who's going to, you know, these people should accept it. Those people won't. We just have to share, spread the seed, and let God do the work. And so we also see both Elijah and Jonah, they're angry with God. Elijah had been faithfully serving God and preaching 
for Israel to turn back to God, and what did he get in return? But being a fugitive in his own land and the queen trying to kill him. You know, and Jonah was angry with God for showing compassion to Israel's enemies, to Nineveh. And there's this verse that, um, you know, we all like and we work on trusting this verse, but it's from Isaiah 55. We like to quote it, 8 through 9. It says, for your thoughts, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as heaven, for the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We like that verse, but then when God actually does it, like with Elijah and Jonah, it's a little harder. Or with us in our life, it's a little harder to trust him when he does things that are different than how we would think. When God does things we don't understand or like, we can become angry and frustrated or even depressed like Elijah and Jonah. But we see that God's messages um, with Elijah and Jonah, we see that God's messages aren't just for the people he sends us to but they're also for us as well. We see that God is concerned about the message that he gives us, but also the messenger, each of us. God was still working with Israel, even though Elijah was burned out and done with him. God lets Elijah know that there are 7,000 people that are still faithful to him. We can get into a Lone Ranger mentality, overestimate our importance to God's mission, and God deals with Elijah by telling him to recruit his replacement. And we also see with uh, Jonah that God wanted to have compassion on Nineveh and wanted to deal with Jonah's hatred toward them also. He's doing both things at the same time. God wanted to address Jonah's self-righteousness and lack of compassion for people. And I've noticed, uh, you know, through life and also in the Bible, those two qualities, self-righteousness and lack of compassion, they seem to go together often. The more righteous we think we are, uh, the less compassionate we feel for people that don't meet our standards. And we see that with Jonah. And God wants to deal with our attitude also. Elijah is exhausted and depressed. Jonah is angry and pouting outside the city. And God provides for both of them and gently asks them questions. God listens to their answers and gives directions on a path forward. So whether you're in the place of Elijah where you have been faithfully serving God and things haven't gone as you expected or hoped, or maybe you're in the place of Jonah where you're actively resisting God because you don't like what God has called you to do. God doesn't give up on us, but he pursues us. So we see that God is good and he's faithful to us. He cares for us when we're depressed, we're scared and exhausted from ministry and life. And we see that he will provide for our physical, emotional, and spiritual needs while also giving us a plan forward like he does with Elijah. And we also see that God is compassionate and kind to us. Even when we are stubborn, we're unjustly angry, God reaches out to us in efforts to teach and guide us into his character and to see more of who he is. Um, and that verse in Matthew, we, it, we see that it's proven true as God deals with Jonah and Elijah in verse uh, in chapter 11 28 to 30 come to me all who labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me and I, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light so wherever you are today if you're Jonah if you're Elijah and you're mad at God you're angry you're frustrated 
realize that God is not condemning you, but he understands we're weak, that we need him, and he comes to us gently, and he says, hey, come learn from me. Come close. Don't run away. Come close. I'm lowly. I'm humble in heart, and I'll be gentle with you, and I want to reach you. So with that, let's, we can stand and we can pray. Thank you guys for being here. I hope it would encourage you, and let's pray and uh, seek God in this moment. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word this morning, that you are humble and gentle with us, and that you want to work with us and transform us into more of your son, God. Thank you for your grace and your mercy in our life. Um, and please help us, God. When we want, we're scared and we want to run away, or we're frustrated with life and the situations we're in, whether they're our fault or just the trials of life, God. Um, would you speak to us and reach out to us through your word, through music, through other people, through worship music, through other people in our community, God? Um, would you just work in us throughout this week um, that you would just remind us that you um, want to hear from us, that you want us to pray to you and give our burdens to you, and that you are willing and able to lift those burdens up and that you want to let us know that you're with us, that you love us and that you will be gentle with us and guide us. So we thank you, Lord, for this moment, for this day, and for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. You guys are dismissed. Go in peace. Have a great week. Thank you.